Welcome back to 60 Seconds in the Microwave. I'm still your host, Will Buckley, and today I'm really excited to have Ryan Lazanis joining me on the podcast. Ryan is a sellout. He successfully sold his practice in 2019. We'll debunk some technology trends together, trends that are on the tip of everybody's tongues at the moment in the accounting industry. Hotly debated, hotly contested topics, which I I hope you'll all enjoy. Let's jump into it. I wasn't sure how to take it when I when I heard the word sellout. So I didn't know where you're going with that, but uh, happy to be here. So, all right, tell, let's start with that. What does what does sellout mean to you? And like, just tell us a little bit about the the process of of selling your practice, um, yeah. the the journey, and give us a a thumbs up or a thumbs down on on anyone that might be thinking of of going through that that sell process. Yeah. So. I'm going to give it a big thumbs up for me personally. Um, I know a few that have gone through it recently that have given it a big thumbs down. Um, you know, when I started my firm, I never thought about selling. I never, it was never even a thought in my mind. You know, um, I just always knew from a young age that I wanted to have a business of some kind. And my training happened to be in accounting. And I decided to start a cloud accounting firm in 2013. And uh, I really enjoyed what I was doing. I was enjoying kind of playing a a role in trying to shake up a a stale industry. And, um, you know, like I said, it was never a thought to actually go through an acquisition, go through a sale. I just thought that I would start a business and perhaps I would do that for the rest of my life. And, um, you know, a few years in, I started getting approached by a number of different firms and you know, there's a lot of firms that are looking to acquire this kind of expertise these days. So uh, that really got me thinking about, okay, well, there's these options now, and is that maybe a path that I want to go down, or what am I, what do I want to do with my life? You know what I mean? So I really started thinking a lot more about that the more and more of these kind of conversations that I had, and. Um, If I was going to go through a sale, I certainly did not want to end up uh, partnering, merging, getting uh, getting bought by a firm that would change the model. So the model was very important. You know, it was a cloud based model. It was a remote team, you know, really, um, you know, doing away with a lot of the pain points that most employees deal with in a typical accounting firm and also what most clients deal with. And I was really proud of that model. And the last thing I wanted to see was, you know, a firm just acquire that and kind of uh, uh, erase everything that had been accomplished. Mm -hmm. So ended up finding, you know, there was this one firm uh, based out of Europe called Equium. And I was impressed with the very first interaction that I had with them. And, um, you know, they were very keen to leave the model intact, leave the technology, leave the processes, leave the team, you know, allow us to operate and do uh, and do what we did well. And that was very important for me. And, uh, you know, they ended up being, uh, you know, uh, you know, they were a great partner and uh, decided to go through with the acquisition, go through with the sale of the business. And uh, and here I am today. 
that's that's an it's an awesome story. Um, can you maybe share a little bit about what it was like going through the the pre-acquisition process and what really impressed you um, that you think would be great for anyone else to look out for as a a way to potentially yeah. navigate through that pre-acquisition phase and the dynamics between, say, you and, and Equium as well and what really impressed you about their style that gave you confidence that it was something that you wanted to, to move forward with? More than anything, like... Mostly everything I think I've done in my professional gears, uh, professional life has been based on my gut instinct. So do I feel a connection with the people that I'm dealing with? Um, and that was a big part of it. You know, the very, very first meeting I had with them, there was a connection there. And, you know, the individual that I was dealing with, his name was Robert. Um, you know, he was from Montreal. He had moved to Japan many years prior to that, had his own firm of a similar size, went through a similar kind of acquisition. So I think we related to that uh, at the very outset. And he was running, like he was running? He was in charge of um, building up the operation in Canada. There was wow. no operation in Canada. So, you know, he had sold his firm in Japan to Equium. And, uh, you know, he's in charge. He was in charge of building up the operation in Canada and, you know, had a great meeting with Robert and, uh you know, it really, you know, I, I let them know exactly what was on my mind, exactly what was important for me. And I think I think that's important for anyone that's going through uh, selling their business is you have to know exactly what you want out of it. And you have to state that very early on. Uh, otherwise, I think you could waste a lot of time or get involved in something that just might not be good for both parties. So and that took me a little bit of time to figure out exactly what I wanted. Um, uh but I think that really helped. So, you know, it was very clear at the outset, this is exactly what I'm looking for. This is exactly what I'm expecting after the acquisition. And, um, and, uh, and yeah, so I think like there's just a connection early on and, and it helped that I was able to, um, uh, you know, define what I was looking for clearly at the beginning. What are you up to these days? You've got all this time on your on your hands now. Yeah, I've like, retired basically. <laughs> I'd spend time talking to you, you know. We hang we out. We do podcasts. We chat. <laughs> yeah. What are, yeah, what are you doing? What are you doing? Um, are you so, bored? I'm not actually. I'm having a great time. So I started a, a new project called Future Firm and um, I knew that if I was going to sell the business I'd have to be doing something else. And, you know, um, as I was transitioning things over, slowly I started ramping things up with Future Firm. Um, but I really didn't start, let's say, full time with Future Firm until later on in 2019. And what Future Firm is, is it's kind of going back to why I started Zen Accounting in the first place. It's because I wanted to help move the needle forward a little bit in the accounting profession. I was very frustrated with the lack of progress. I don't think there was, you know, there's some firms pushing forward, but um, you know, I've been critical of our professional body in, in a number of a number of instances. Um, you know, I, I think there has to be someone or, or an organization or a group of people that play a role in advancing things because it's still a very archaic old school profession. Is that just in Canada specifically? Um, you know what? I think Canada, I think the U.S., um, you know, I think there's a lot of similarities there. I think in other parts of the world is definitely more progressive, like in Australia, for instance. You know, they're definitely several years uh, ahead of us. Um, but if we want to stay relevant, you know, we have to move forward. Um, and um, again, that's why I started Zen Accounting, because 
I thought I identified with the entrepreneur and I thought that accounting was very painful. I wanted to create a, a you know, an easier way to deliver services. And, you know, when I started getting approached by a number of different firms um, before the acquisition, I started to think, okay, what do I really want to do? Like, what's my purpose? And I think I've, I boiled it down to, again, you know, I want to help move the profession forward and I want to help others through their modernization journey, other firms. Actually, you know, the first three cloud firms in the country, Zen Accounting, Live CA, Connect CPA, none of us knew what to do. So we just all got together on Skype and chatted through some different ideas. And that's how we figured stuff out in the early days. And still, I think there's a lack of resources out there for firms. So I want to help be that resource. So that's what I do at Future Firm. So I work with a select group of firms on a one-to-one -one mentor basis. Uh, but another thing that I do is I like putting out content. Um, I've, I've noticed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on. I'm on your. I'm on your subscriber list, and it's it's good stuff. Appreciate so that. I'm glad you decided to do that. It's I really, appreciate um, that. Yeah. So like you know, uh, I discovered like I enjoyed marketing when I was growing Zen Accounting. I discovered like a, a passion and a bit of a knack for online marketing, and um, you know, that's kind of what I'm doing with Future Firm is. You know, I have a blog, www.futurefirm.co, and uh, I blog often there on topics that I think are interesting for uh, firms that want to modernize and live on the cutting edge. I have a weekly newsletter, which I really enjoy doing. Um, you know, every week, as you know, I send out, um, you know, I, I sort through all the news and all the different things happening in the week online, uh, and I pick the five most relevant pieces of content that I think are interesting for firms um, that want to modernize and stay on the cutting edge. I've picked those five pieces of content. I put that in a brief email. I curate it. I put my, my own comments and opinions, and I shoot that off every Tuesday morning. And, um, you know, just a, a, a small plug here. If anyone else is interested, you can go to uh, www.futurefirm.co slash top five. And, um, you know, that kind of content that I love putting out there. So I'll, I'll co-plug that with you. Yeah, like absolutely. I, I endorse it. It's um, <laughs> not that my endorsement means anything, but um, I really enjoy it. So yeah, I think it's, it's great. If anyone, if anyone wants to go and check that out, subscribe to it. It's, it's really helpful to get that. That's like synthesized view of the top five topics with your commentary and opinions as well. <laughs> For Which, whatever um, it's worth, right, Will? Whatever it's worth. <laughs> and uh, I'd, I'd love to jump in on a few of those as, yeah. we, as we get into this. Okay, um, cool. But yeah, yeah. Tell, tell us more, Future so, Firm. So How's it going? Yeah, so that's uh, that's how it's going. And, you know, there's, um, I think, like, it's resonating with people because, you know, they've seen that I've gone through it. And some of them are just going through their journey of transitioning their firm over to something more online, more digital, more modern. And I think a lot of the newer firms or like the firms that are just starting, they want to start from scratch from that. So I, I'm really helping both of those kind of firms out. And uh, some of them it's through mentoring. Some of them it's through the content. You know, down the road, there's a few other things that I'd like to roll out. But for now, I'm just working on pushing out quality content and working with a select group of firms. Uh, I know you've shared and, and written and commented on the future of compliance in the profession. What's your take on compliance and where it fits in the future of the profession? 
I think there's a, obviously a big discussion between compliance and advisory. And I think the one thing that irks me a little bit is that nobody really even knows what that means. Everyone has a different definition. So I'd like to see like a consensus on what that means. Like what is advisory? What is compliance? I think for me, compliance is like anything that's more backwards looking or things that absolutely need to, to be delivered, like a tax return, for instance, mm -hmm. or bookkeeping. Whereas advisory is like something more forward looking, like you're helping a client with like a projection or a forecast or something of that nature. So um, I think there's also been a lot of, you know, since I've been in the cloud accounting space, all I've heard is advisory, advisory, advisory. And it, I, I feel like there's still, nobody's grasping onto that as much as it's being talked about. So certainly things are changing and certainly there's more automation happening. I mean, I don't think, I don't think you're doomed if you're a compliance focused practice. I think there's still many, many more years to go. And, and actually there was a, a Zero Canada Firm report that was put out recently, the 2020 Zero Canada Firm report, which said that even compliance practices are growing the fastest right now, something along those lines. So yeah, well, that's uh, what technology brings to it. Like number one is efficiency. Yep. So and compliance is like it's everywhere. It's every, there's so much volume of it. Um, there's there's plenty of it to to work through. So if you get more efficient with it, and that's I think the number one opportunity with technology straight away is is implementing a modern stack, and then you can start moving through that compliance workflow a lot quicker. Um, but yeah, that's really interesting on the, what is advisory? What is compliance? Do you feel like you can have one? Do you feel like you can have advisory without compliance? You can, but personally, the way I look at it is an advisory is like what you do after it all. You know, you need good books. You need good, timely, accurate data, you know? So the bookkeeping has to be pretty tight throughout the year. The compliance is like, expected you know you have to perform the year end and the tax returns like do clients do clients care did your clients care about the compliance stuff i think i think what they care about is how painless can you make it for me yeah i think like keep that, me out of jail and don't don't take, take up my time with don't it take up can. my time how frictionless can the entire journey be i think that's what the good firms are doing and mm. certainly a lot of the good compliance firms are we're making it very easy for you, you know? Like we're looking at the, all the customer interactions, all the way from like your website, how they first land on your page, how they get in touch with you, the onboarding process, how smooth it is during the year to deliver the service. Like you could have a very good compliance focused firm um, that, and clients love you if you just make it dead simple for them. So that's one thing a lot of firms I don't think are thinking about is like, what is the experience I want my clients to have? But on top of that, like expectations among clients are changing. They know technology's out there. They get used to a certain something. Uh, and then, you know, they want more of it. They want better. They want faster. They want more services surrounding them. So I think that's where the uh, advisory conversation is coming into the mix. And there's a lot of different types of advisory. You know, we have virtual CFO services. You know, we have app advisory services, which is starting to bubble up as a hotter topic now. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's certain compliance services that aren't super popular that I think can be more popular. Uh, you know, I was recently joined the board advisory board of Invoice Sherpa, which is like an accounts receivable automation app. And, um, 
you know, how many firms do you know are helping collect cash for their clients? Mm -hmm. And that's an easy service to offer, I think. You know, so like if you can surround your client with more of these kind of services, um, I think ultimately that's what they're looking for. And a lot of that, a lot of the opportunity sounds like it's more geared towards like technology consulting almost. Pretty much. Um, is that something, is that a skill set that you think comes naturally to the accounting profession and the CPA profession, even the bookkeeping profession as well? Is it something that's, is there or is there a big knowledge gap? I think it's starting to be, I think, uh, and I don't think you have to be like a software engineer to understand this stuff, but you have to understand workflows and understand what you want the end result to be and the op and, and using, you know, understanding how you can use technology to smooth that process out. So uh, you don't have to be uh, like, it could be self-taught. You just have to take the time and tinker, tinker with the apps, you know? Um, you know, that's what I did and that's what a lot of others did is you just take the time and you, you understand what you want the ultimate flow to look like and then just slap some technology in there that can help automate that workflow. So I think there is obviously, there, there's probably a gap. I mean, I can't speak to exactly what, what that is, but I think more and more accountants are becoming a lot more comfortable with advising on the technology end of things. And on the, you mentioned a little earlier, the, the clients are demanding or expecting more services and you use the invoice Sherpa example around mm -hmm. cash flow. Um, I mean, super ballpark question, mm -hmm. like what percentage of small businesses in Canada do you think are asking for these services today? I think there's certainly a percentage that uh, I think there's a big chunk that just say, get this stuff out of my face. Yep. And then we can talk about the other stuff after. I think that's the big priority. So that's the bookkeeping and the compliance and the tax work. Get this out of my face. I'm really, really busy. I don't want to think about anything else. And once you do that, and once you have a good process around getting it out of their face, then I think it's actually much easier to upsell onto some of those other services that we've been talking about. And I would wager, you know, uh, the vast majority of businesses out there would be receptive to those other kind of advisory services. But you, I think you got to get the core out of their face first. Yeah, build the trust, build the credibility, yep. like solve the initial pain point, the, the most prevalent pain point in front of that, that client, that business owner. And then that's almost like the right to play after that. Exactly. Um, what other services can you layer on? And again, like if you nail that workflow and you solve that pain point and you get compliance out of their face, then there's probably really natural conversation opportunities or trigger points in the, the upselling journey um, where the client is really happy with the service that's been delivered. You've solved that immediate need around compliance and then you're coming in with really useful insights uh, into the conversation um, to help mm -hmm. like show that value in taking that next step in the engagement uh, and growing that scope. Um, what advice would you give to uh, a partner or uh, someone that's client-facing in the practice around sharpening those skills to start having more of those conversations with clients and what are some of the, the really good trigger points in the relationship to look to start having that conversation with a client? I don't know if this specifically addresses your question, but I think 
the number one thing I would, if you want to offer advisory, you need good data. Okay. And you can't have good data if you don't control the books or if you have, if your client has a really good bookkeeper on the team, which honestly, you can say, it. I, you, you know, can say, it. <laughs> you know, like I haven't put it to you like this. I haven't inherited very many clean, timely, accurate books. Okay. Yeah. So there's something happening on the bookkeeping end of things where it's lacking at most businesses. So uh, obviously I'm making a generalization here, but I think it, it really pays to control the process uh, in a number of, for a number of different reasons. But if you want to offer advisory, if you want to offer advice, you need to control the data. And uh, from there, you can build in scheduled touch points throughout the year um, to have just a, 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 an update with what's happening with the business. You know, where's the business heading? Let's look at the last six months together. Like it doesn't have to be anything complicated. It could be just a very simple overview of what's happening in the business, what's taken place, what are you thinking about doing? And from there, there's so many opportunities that open itself up to different types of advisory services, whether it be streamlining workflows with app advisory, whether it be, you know, some virtual CFO assistance, you know, like we gave the uh, example of like, you know, accounts receivable managed services. If you see a large accounts receivable balance on their books, you know, you can help chase that up for them. There's a lot like, of things. That, that's like a legitimate opportunity that I think CPAs and accounting professionals maybe overlook as potentially being valuable. Like that feels like it comes second nature to accountants, but business owners, a lot of them, it, that kind of stuff doesn't mm -hmm. come second nature, right? Yep. Like that's really valuable. It's very valuable. And, and you can't have any of those conversations if you don't have timely, accurate data. So if you're just meeting with your client once a year, and you're just doing a year end, like how valuable is that at the end of the day? And how valuable can your insights be if you're doing the year end four months after the entire year has closed? Like you're not performing a very valuable service in my opinion at that point. Mm -hmm. I've, um, I jumped on stage recently and I said compliance plus conversation equals advisory. That's Pretty what much. I boiled it down to. I mean, that's where it starts. Yeah, I mean, if you're meeting, if you're doing a really good job with the compliance workflow, and you're, to your point, like you really are making sure that there's good, clean data in real time, not mm -hmm. just like a good cleanup exercise once a quarter, like try and make it as real time as yep. possible, which to your example, like it often means having to take more control and influence over the quality of the books um, in a real time environment. And then just being prepared and willing to actually get face to face, whether it's over a Zoom call, over a Hangout link or in at your client's um, business premises, like just being willing to have that face-to-face -face conversation with clients and, and get really good with the discovery and, and the line of questioning to, to understand what's, what's next in our journey together. Like here's a really good compliance service. I've solved the immediate pain points, but um, yeah, how do we go on this discovery for the next steps together? Because you've got that trust and, and credibility at that point. Yeah, I like that. I, I think it all starts with the conversation, right? Yep. Like, you know, I think there's a lot of firms that, uh, you know, there's a lot of shiny toys out there and you get distracted by just maybe implementing too many of these apps ahead of time when it just starts with the conversation. Like, do I really need that app? What, what do I want to, what do I actually want to achieve with this client? What does this ch client want to achieve? And start with that conversation, figure that out first. And, you know, um, it really starts with that conversation. Is there a... Um 
on the app stack side of things, like an app fatigue, I'm starting to hear app fatigue come mm-hmm. up as a term more and more frequently. Um, so there's, there's obviously a plethora of, of apps out there that can, can solve various pain points in the workflow. Um, is there like a, a core stack that you would recommend for, for advisors working with clients that are almost like no-brainers, no matter what client you're working with, you should have these apps in place and then what advice would you give to anyone that is looking to then go and do more client-facing consulting with with their clients um, on the types of apps that could be explored together that are not like workflow specific, they're more industry or vertical specific? I think like really the core is how do you get the compliance done as efficiently as possible and you don't need much for that, you know? Uh, you need a cloud accounting software like Zero, and you need like a, a receipt scanning app like HubDoc or Receipt Bank. You know, I think you don't need much more than that to start. I don't think you have to get much more complicated. Um, get that working at working well first, and then depending on the um, type of industry that you're dealing with, there's other types of apps that you can slap in there. But honestly, you can apply you know that those two apps to just about any single business out there and then build on it as you go. So I, I, I really wouldn't, personally, I never really recommended more than that at the outset. I mean, there were instances where, you know, there'd be a larger client that need help with like payments and, and payroll and that kind of stuff. So we'd have to implement uh, other apps as well. But the one two punch was typically like a zero and a hub doc or receipt bank kind of thing. I'm, I love that. The one two punch. That's right. Can I reuse that? Is that- <laughs> I, that's, that's, I, I would use that with the clients, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Um, yeah. You're starting to do a lot more consulting now and working with more and more firms. Like, obviously, you mm-hmm. took you a number of years to get the recipe right. But could you put a timeline on um, from a typical CPA firm looking to, to go from compliance-based activities, having no clients that they're really offering advisory services too could you put a timeline on how long it would take them to move say 50 percent of their clients onto an advisory type engagement or 3x type revenue or or whatever the multiples look like you know what that's that's a hard question I, i think like it depends what kind of advisory what type of services because i'm i'm big into like a recurring repetitive type model i like more of that machine or engine right so like the that's the way i built my firm um where you know you get them into the same kind of system, the same kind of process. It's the same kind of service. Obviously, you're tweaking it a bit and customizing it, but it's a very repeatable offering month to month. Whereas advisory sometimes doesn't lend itself well to repeating. You know, sometimes advisory can be like big projects, mm-hmm. and that's a significant strain on certain people on the team and maybe less scalable, let's say. So I like the idea of like a repeatable advisory service, which is also something that was talked about in that uh, 2020 Zero Canada Firm report. And I I mentioned that on my blog because I actually, um, I wrote a piece on my 10 takeaways on on that report. And my biggest takeaway is that more firms should offer a repeatable advisory service. So I think if you're offering a more repeatable advisory service, it's, it's very easy to transition from your compliance. Like if you're already on a subscription model on the compliance, it's very easy to transition to a repeatable, like just build a repeatable advisory type service offering on top of that. 
So you can transition. What would, what would that look like? Like what's an example of um, so going like, from that repeatable compliance so, to repeatable advisory? So basically it could be anything like, um, you know, first off, it starts with the conversation, as you, as you said. You have to understand what, what the needs are, what the goals of the business are. And uh, let's say, you know, let's say uh, you have the bookkeeping down pat, you have the compliance down pat, um, the business owner has ambitions of growing, but they haven't mapped out the plan. You know, they haven't put a model in place. They haven't budgeted. They haven't forecasted any of their cash resources. They're just kind of going. Mm -hmm. So it would be very easy to, to recommend a financial model to show like a budget for the next 12 months, the next two years, whatever it might be. Implement that. There's a once-off implementation that has to be done. Maybe that takes you a couple of weeks, a month, depending on the complexity of it. And then what you can do is you can update that budget every quarter or every month. So you get into a bit of a routine and you can build that into a subscription model and you can look at the variances together every month or every quarter. You can update assumptions every period. You could um, you know, update the goals. You can do different uh, scenarios. Uh, so that's very easy because it gets advisory into your cycle and it doesn't break the cycle. And I think that's what that's a reason why a lot of firms maybe don't engage in advisory is because they're very used to their cycle and their rhythm and they get things in and out the door. But mm -hmm. advisory is like big, sometimes big project work. I think that's what some firms think of. And it would kind of break that cycle when they're already so busy. So if you can get advisory into your cycle, I think you could move from like a compliance based firm to an advisory based firm quite easily. I don't think it, you know, it's not going to be three years to get 50% of your clients over. It might only be a year, maybe two years. Mm. Yeah, that's, um, well, that's obviously a very attractive proposition um, because, I mean, I think from that, from that survey that you talked about that we did um, at Zero in Canada across practices that we work with, there's a lot of upside in going through advisory, but as you mentioned before, like firms that are typically offering compliance-based services are experiencing some of the faster, fastest rates of growth. But absolutely, like on a per client, per engagement basis, um, if you can start moving in towards advisory, then then that fee per client um, really starts to grow because the value's there. Um, and not just the fee per client, but also client loyalty, client yep. stickiness. You know, it's much harder to switch. It's, it's pretty easy to switch firms these days. You know, like people shop for their accountant on Google now. You know, mm. um, it's pretty easy. You just type in, you know, accounting services, Toronto, accounting services, Montreal, and you'll find a whole host of cloud and non-cloud firms. And it's very easy to even get onboarded without even moving from your home or your on office. So like the switching costs are pretty, pretty low these days to move from an account firm to firm. So if you could lock them in with more value added services and surround them with more services, it's much harder to leave. You touched on something interesting there around clients shopping around, mm -hmm. uh, plenty of new businesses popping up, a um, couple of hundred thousand startups opening up in Canada every year looking to start generating revenue, find an advisor, start moving through the compliance cycle and then potentially advisory. The average age of business owners and founders, um, sole proprietors as well, is getting lower and lower through trends like the gig economy. Mm -hmm. um, you commented recently on 
the Uberization of the profession. What do you see as being, what do you, how do you see this trend evolving between like the gig economy coming through and the Uberization of the accounting profession? I don't see it. I see it uh, intensifying. Um, I think this is the future of work in a lot of respects. I think people, you know, people want in terms of like employees, people performing the work, they want flexibility, they want freedom. Um, you know, this, if you can, if you can, you know, offer work and tasks when you want, how you want it kind of thing, like, why wouldn't you do that? So you're seeing different kind of platforms and all different industries pop up that accommodate that, you know, so Uber kind of changed the game forever. And from, uh, from a firm perspective, I think it's actually quite interesting um, because now you have another option. And I did a podcast episode with uh, the CEO of TaxFile and uh, TaxFile is a U.S. based um basically Uber for taxes platform where they have several thousand CPAs and enrolled agents on their platform and you can get an on-demand tax work. So I think it's actually interesting for firms too because, you know, you'd have, as was discussed on this episode, you have full-time employees, you have part-time employees, you have contractors, but now you have on-demand gig workers where you can plug into that for like very short-term needs. Like if you're in a very, very crazy, hectic tax season, and I'm speaking to some firms right now that are going through that, that can't find people and they need a solution quickly, like why wouldn't you plug into a platform like that? And maybe it's not 100% the way that you would want it done. And maybe you would prefer to have like a full-time person on your team. But if I'm in a jam, why wouldn't I just plug into a platform like that and just get some on-demand work and get me through the busy season and then restart the search, you know? So I think it's very interesting for not only like um, employees that are maybe looking for a different kind of work arrangement, but also firms. I think they have another option now to um, get help when they need it. Are platforms like that a threat to the industry and to firms that have a specific focus and are community-based and looking to stay community-based? I mean, look, it's, I think, I think it adds another layer of competition, probably, you know, there's platforms out there, like, as, as, as many know, there's like QuickBooks Live, for instance, which is, you know, rolling out, uh, you know, a bookkeeping service on demand, um, the quality of that I'm not sure about. Uh, there's a lot of things that people aren't sure about. Like, is it even actually going to work? Nobody knows, but I think it seems like this is the direction that things are going in. Um, and is this a threat for firms? I think it could be a threat for some firms. I think it probably, you know, it further commoditizes certain service offerings. So that forces you to differentiate a bit. I, I think like, um, you know, there's always going to be, I, I think it, it comes down to, are you able to, you know, roll with the punches? There's, you always have to, you have to be changing, you know, uh, firms that have not adopted like the cloud, for instance, I think are seeing, or are going to be seeing a huge loss of business because clients for the most part don't want that kind of service experience anymore. So you're seeing those traditional firms, um, uh, you know, I think they're going to be, they're going to have some, some trouble like 
down the road uh, because you've have these more modern cloud firms popping up, delivering a more like service offering that speaks more to you know this generation. So I think this is just maybe the next evolution of that. And how do firms use that to their advantage? Uh, I think there are ways that it could be used to their advantage. So I'm very interested in in what's currently taking place. I don't think it's going to go away, but it's certainly going to uh, it's going to affect how 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 people oper- how firms operate in the competition. Does it shift the weighting towards the strength of relationship between accounting professional and client even more than it ever has? Like, is the the quality of the relationship that you have with your client very quickly becoming your IP as an accounting professional rather than necessarily how you set up your firm's workflows? That's a good question. I don't really know. I know for me personally, like almost everything like ease and convenience trumps almost everything, you know? So, um, and maybe that's just me, but I just want easy. I just want fast. I want convenient. And I'm going to go with the option that could provide that the best. Like, you know, um, I give like wealth sample, wealth simple as an example, like who knows like what goes beyond, like a bank is probably more secure if you're putting cash there. And, and uh, I don't want to go too deep into this as an example, but like, mm-hmm. I just love the ease and simplicity of well, simple. I can plug in, I could, you know, I'm not even speaking to anybody and I'm putting money there, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just able to plug in. I have an easy, easy process to follow. You can get money in there very, very easily. And I think that's why it's so popular. And, you know, usually, you know, usually would associate your money with like, you want to talk to a banker or something like that. You want to make sure everything's nice and safe and, and that you have an advisor there and you're seeing, you know, younger generation gravitate towards an offering that is less personal, but easier. So I think that's, that's what we're seeing. Yeah. It's, it's certainly an interesting trend. And you, you mentioned there like the younger generation coming through. I, I wonder at what point, like I feel like there might be a balance of power or a shift towards the, the strength of the relationship coming back because at some point that young professional or that entrepreneur that doesn't have a family yet or doesn't have, um, doesn't have to worry about managing debt because they don't have a mortgage yet. They're just getting out and starting a business and, and the complexities in their financial situation um, aren't to the same degree as what they might be in 10 years' time, for example. Like at some point, does the, the value of the, the family office and the advice that you get from that and having someone by your side to help work through some of the different options and some of the different apps and tech pieces of technology that could be used to service or meet the goals and objectives like how does someone figure out if using an app like well simple is um absolutely the the best the best way forward for them to meet their financial goals mm-hmm. um like where how to strike that balance in the future i think is going to become really interesting um i'm certainly curious to to see how it all plays out but yeah like the one single theme that seems to be like underpinning all of this is like somewhere in this equation in this puzzle in the future like the the client the relationship between expert and user or customer or client um i think is like something that underpins all of it so Mm -hmm. how that service gets delivered how that technology gets surfaced up um i think is going to be what like joins the dots 
but yeah underpinning theme just feels like the expert has to stay really connected to to that client that customer that user yeah uh, look i don't disagree with that and i'm not saying like <laughs> i don't think we're going to see a service where you just push a button and you're dealing with a computer and that's it i mean we're very very far away from that happening still yeah but um you know there there's i think i think at the end of the day it really comes down to making an experience easy frictionless and pain-free and be able to deliver advice at the right moments in time you know and there's still a lot of points in friction uh, of friction even even among like the most modern firms there's still so many points of friction and so many interactions that aren't like delivering value to the client there's so many there's so far to go um, before we get to something where you're just interacting with the client when you have value to deliver at the precise time. So, um, yeah, at the end of the day, it's just the customer experience that's going to matter. Yeah. How do we solve the customer's problem as quickly and effectively and impactfully Mm -hmm. as we possibly can? So as a... As someone that works in the tech industry and in software, like okay. I, there's nothing more exciting about solving those problems um, through and working with accounting professionals that that have that that existing relationship and bond and willingness to strengthen that bond with with their clients. So um, I love everything that, that we do here at Zero and, and achieving and connecting with small businesses through um, through experts like like accounting professionals. Just like you, Ryan. <laughs> well, I think I think you guys really get it, you know. I think that's why I've been a big zero user since mm. you know, since I started, because you understand what a, a good experience looks like, you know. And every time I use the product, you know, I was happy to use it, you know. So uh, I, I think you guys really understand that. Always more work to be done, though. You're never done. When you're done, you're dead. <laughs> okay. that's my advice yeah Uh, okay is that a saying or did you uh, did you make that one up someone told me that i have i'm not i don't want to quote it but i have a feeling that someone said that that was something that steve jobs said yeah okay um when you're done you're dead we'll have to we'll have to follow up on that and fact check i'll (laughs) fact check myself (laughs) um get into that time the most valuable time (laughs) this is 60 seconds in the microwave Uh ryan lazanis what is the best piece of advice that you could give to any firm owner, whether existing or prospective, from all of your experience? I think um, I think my the best piece of advice I can give is to just jump, to just try new things, to not overthink things. I mean, you know, that's something that I followed throughout my career, and it seemed to work out well so far. And um, you never know if it's going to be the right path, but uh, like. When I started my firm, I just had an idea. I didn't have like a 20-page business plan. I just had an idea and I just kind of went with it. And you figure out certain things that work and certain things that don't work and you iterate on that. And some, I think some people just like think a little bit too much before undertaking an initiative. So, um, you know, it, it worked out well with Zen Accounting and same thing. Like I decided, okay, I'll sell the business and then... I'll jump into future firm and see where that goes. And, you know, uh, I didn't have a real, I had ideas, but had no clue where that would really go either. And that seemed to be, be working out well so far. So I think it's, you just have to jump sometimes and and not overthink things. Yeah. That's awesome. That's great advice. You've always got your finger on the pulse. You're absolutely someone that 
anyone in the accounting industry can can confidently look to for an insightful opinion and direction on how to debunk some of these these emerging trends that are popping up and you're like you're an awesome person to to have worked with over the past and I look forward to everything that we're going to be doing together in the future as well and, and seeing all the success that you're going to continue to have with with future firms so appreciate thank you that very well. much for taking the time well thanks to you I appreciate it always nice catching up with you always I'll, uh, I'll see you soon all right well <laughs> thanks Ryan thanks a lot if you didn't get enough from today's episode, you can always check out Ryan's blog at futurefirm.co where you can get access to his weekly top five tech trends, synopsises, commentaries, opinions, which he sends in a nicely packaged up email every Tuesday morning. It lands in my inbox every week and I love checking out his top five. That's Ryan Lazanis's futurefirm.co forward slash top five. 